Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear the joy what you say to us today. Amen. First scripture reading is from Genesis 1, 1 to 9. Let us hear God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said that that light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Many of the holidays that we observe in the Christian tradition are ones that we made up to celebrate things that happened in Scripture. You will never see the words Christmas or Easter in Scripture. But interestingly... We do see the word for today's celebration in scripture. We see it a great deal, actually, not just in today's passage. Pentecost. In Jewish tradition, Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, was a festival of thanksgiving, specifically for the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Instead of renaming the holiday, the Christian tradition kept the name Pentecost, but it took on a new meaning. But this explains why there were so many people in Jerusalem on that day. And it's interesting that we are given the spirit on that day. On the very day of remembrance of the law, the guiding spirit of freedom is given to us. So this is why there were so many people from so many places hanging out in Jerusalem at the time this happened. It was a festival that people traveled to Jerusalem to observe. God's timing is not coincidence, my dear ones. Not only is there deep theological implication to the Spirit coming on a day of celebration of the law, But it is very convenient for the spread of the gospel that there just happened to be people from all over the place in Jerusalem that day. Now, the biggest problem with there being people from all over the place is the language barrier. But for God, who created every single language in the world, this was no real problem. In a reversal of the confusion of language at Babel, we see later in Genesis 11, everyone was suddenly able to hear God's word in their own language, even though it was the same old Galilean disciples of Jesus speaking it. I assure you, brothers and sisters, none of them were scholars of other languages of the world. These were fishermen. Any big tourist site is a great example of what this might have felt like if we want to get a feeling for that confusion of hearing all those different languages in one place. If you've been to the Lincoln Memorial or the Grand Canyon or the Louvre or the ruins of Ephesus or any other place like that, you know what it feels like to be surrounded by so many other languages. And yes, it can be a little intimidating to not know what the people around you are saying, 
But I also think it's so beautiful. What a demonstration of God's creativity and the diversity of humanity that we can hear in that. Every language is shaped by the people who speak it, and it also shapes the people who speak it. German is very precise, and you say every letter that you see. It just sounds German. It's tidy. Turkish is this quirky blend of European sounds with somewhat vaguely Asian grammar and who knows what alphabet they got all of their characters from because it has long been this center of trade and commerce. Hebrew is very pared back, but it draws heavily on wordplay and knowing the speaker or the writer well to understand it fully. And English is a delightfully playful mud puddle of everything from everywhere. And so on Pentecost, God honored the different people from different places and cultures and languages, and they heard God's word in their own language with all of its quirks and nuances and beauty. Language is such a funny thing, isn't it? It brings people together and sometimes tears them apart. It confuses and explains. It's constantly changing, morphing, becoming something new and different. Think about the word literally. This one is very controversial these days, you may have heard. The dictionary definition of the word literally is in a literal sense or manner. It is something that is actually happening just the way the speaker or writer said that it is. But there's a second definition that has come into common use. Merriam-Webster says, in effect, virtually. The example used is, we'll literally turn the world upside down to combat, combat cruelty or injustice. Obviously, nobody is going to literally turn the world upside down. That is hyperbole. People have used it as hyperbole, a purposeful exaggeration to make a point, and that has started to change the definition of that word and the way that it is used in our common language. I could say, this is literally the best congregation in the entire world. And you would all know that I'm not saying I have some sort of empirical evidence that you've all achieved some standard above and beyond every other church in the world. That measure doesn't even exist. It's just my over-the-top way of saying that you are all pretty wonderful. That word literally has changed. Language is also different in different places. The same language can be used differently depending on where you're at. If you speak Spanish, you'll know that you need to speak it differently in Barcelona than you do in Lima. Even here in Pittsburgh, we speak English, friends. But if you ask someone from Wisconsin to read up that room over there, Nat, they were not going to have one solid clue what you were talking about. I do not have much of a Pittsburgh accent, uh, having spent a large chunk of my childhood in the Midwest, but I've been here long enough and I grew up with Pittsburgh parents, so I can understand Pittsburghese just fine, usually. There were some language gaps, though, when we first moved back here. My mother, who had um, dropped a few things like gum band into conversation regularly my whole childhood, learned that when you're not in Pittsburgh, you have to drop the Pittsburghese in order to be understood. 
So the whole time we lived in Kansas, she had essentially dropped the Pittsburgh accent, uh, specifically her Beaver County strain of the Pittsburgh accent. But the second we moved back, she fell right back into it as though we had never left. And one evening she told me to put some jumbo on the dog's dinner. And I asked her to repeat herself, please. <laughs> so she said it again, louder, which did not help. I still had no idea what she was saying. I asked her again, jumbo, go in the fridge, get out the jumbo, and put some on top of the dog food. And then she looked at me with the blank stare still on my face and saw that I was still confused and it dawned on her what she had said and why I was so confused. Baloney, she shouted. For what was probably months after we moved back here, anytime I heard someone say something about a jumbo sandwich, I just thought they were talking about a very large sandwich. Because anywhere else in the English speaking world, that's what that would mean. But the context was so important here, and I didn't even realize it. We do not have a national language in the United States, but most of us speak English. But some of us speak Pittsburgh English, and some of us speak Kansas English, and there are subtle differences. Some of us speak church English, and others have never been to church or haven't been around it enough to understand it. We say things like fellowship instead of hanging out. We talk about tithing or giving offerings rather than donations. So I went through the bulletin this morning with a highlighter before worship. And here are the terms that I found that are used only in church or are used differently in church than in other places. And I didn't have to go very far. Uh, Holy Spirit, Pentecost, Prelude, Invocation, Confession, Assurance of Pardon. You've got some that aren't even English, like Gloria Patri, Illumination, Gospel, Communion, Tithes and Offerings, Doxology, another one that's not even English, Charge, Benediction, Postlude. These are all things that would likely be confusing to someone walking in the door who hadn't been around church long enough to learn how to speak Christianese. Now, I love terms like doxology because it communicates something in a particular way, but only to the people in the know. I say doxology here, and most people start humming to themselves, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It triggers that song of thanksgiving. But A, how many of you knew that doxology meant song of thanksgiving and wasn't just the title of that song of thanksgiving that we sing? And B, if you say doxology outside of the church, most people will look at you sideways, like I did my mom when she asked me to get the jumbo out of the fridge. And my mom didn't even realize that there was a language barrier between us when she said that. We don't always realize that language barrier is there. For Pete's sake, my mother raised me. How would I not know what that word meant, right? In order for us to point out God 
to the people around us, and to build relationships in the community. We have to be careful that we are speaking the same language. When we invite people to a worship service, do they know what that involves? If we ask someone if they'd like to come to midweek Bible study, what are they picturing in their head? Do they picture a scene out of the movie Saved? Do they immediately think of the Bible study massacre in Charleston? When they hear Christian, do they just picture Ned Flanders from The Simpsons? And let's talk about when they do get here and we tell them something is in the narthex. I grew up a preacher's kid, and I almost said PK, but then I realized not everybody knows that acronym. And I was at least nine before I knew what a narthex was. We should even take caution with the way we use the metaphors we use and the words surrounding our rights here at church. In the early days of the church, Christians would talk about communion in language the Romans didn't understand, and they were assumed to be cannibals because they were celebrating eating Jesus' body and drinking his blood. That sounds really weird if you don't know what they're actually talking about. We need to be careful, plain, and explicit in the way we use our language. And that is hard to do. And it means that sometimes we need to be willing to explain things when someone doesn't understand them. Or to know when we use that term that we might need to explain it. Because unless a person can hear God's word in their own language, they are just going to think we're a bunch of babbling idiots so many people have tuned out Christianese because it doesn't make any dang sense to them. So why do we keep using it if it's not helpful for expanding the kingdom? If we are to allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can help carry the gospel to all people, we have to be open to speaking new languages, to allowing the language we use here to change over time. We need to be willing to change some of the words we're using and how we're saying them so that others can hear and understand what we are saying. Because while language can divide, at its best, language brings us together, as it did in Acts 2. In spite of the fact that Google Translate is pretty amazing and can get you around anywhere in the world, I like to learn at least a few phrases in the language of any place I'm traveling to. Because I have discovered that when you learn even a little bit of someone else's language, you learn a little bit about them. You understand them better. And there is something beautiful and unifying about that effort of stepping out of your own language and speaking in ways that the other person is familiar and comfortable with, even if you screw it up. Sometimes that solidifies the friendship even more. I assure you my Turkish is awful, but when we were in Turkey, people were touched that I was even trying. Because when you try to speak someone else's language, you show that you care not just about what they can offer you, but you care about who they are as a person. Because language is such an intimate part of who we are. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit was sent to do, to create unity and broaden the life of the church. The Spirit is sent to break down barriers and bring us together from different places. Let us pray. 
Come, Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us so that we might see those around us and know how to speak in ways that will help to spread the gospel. Let us be champions of unity and understanding. Amen.